why don't you take your seats? So glad to have everybody joining us online, on our online campus, those of you that are here in person. Happy Resurrection Day. It's been a full morning around here. Thank you, sir. We had a 7 a.m. sunrise service uh, today. It was just tremendous out in the parking lot. And it's been nonstop. A special thank you to everybody who came so early uh, to make all that happen. And uh, just as we continue to, to explore, I think that what's happened, um, we just cultivate the atmosphere and then we, like, like passing of a baton to the next level atmosphere. So how many of you ready for the fullness of what God wants to do today? Uh, I just believe he wants to stir something within us as we uh, allow him to awaken. I, I don't want to give you my best speech. Um, we don't want to provide our best entertainment. We want to have a true encounter with God as the way we gather as the body of Christ. That's really what church should always be all about. It's about Him. So what I want to do is um, talk with you today about uh, the message of being entitled, Because He Lives. And it really is a reality that Jesus is alive, and because we can know Jesus, we can know life. And I mean like real life, true life, eternal life, even now. I mean, just the thought of eternal life invading our temporal space. You cannot remain the same. This is why Smith Wigglesworth said, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the out. Because God was awakening something of eternity within him. And it changed the way he walked. And it changed the way he spoke. And I believe that's the type of power God wants us to experience. How many of you know in the Western society we've tried to tame Christianity into a self-serving religion? It's a big statement. It's created a lot of religious confusion in the day in which we live. Perhaps the biggest enemy to society is cultural Christianity. Because biblical Christianity transforms society. So if you think of whatever the biggest problem is in society, that actually could be transformed if biblical Christianity caught fire in the church. Come on, we're believing for that. How many of you just open to the Lord really doing what he desires to do deep within your heart today? Amen. Can I get an amen? That's good. Well, there's a big difference between merely existing and truly living. And what if true life involved moving your life out of the center of the equation? And when you move your life out of the center of the equation, you really then begin to, begin to discover true life. There's a picture I want you to, um, to imagine with me, to envision at the scene of the cross, Jesus hanging on a cross, having been crucified, bleeding every drop of blood out of his body, dying, suspended between heaven and earth to bridge the gap between deity and humanity, even within himself. The only way that we can find our way into the presence of the Father is through Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it, Jesus is the only way. Greatest treasure the earth had ever known suspended on the cross in that moment in time. And what we see in this scene are these Roman soldiers that are casting lots for the garment that, that Jesus wore. 
And I want you just to think about this for a moment as we explore today what God's desiring to reveal. You have these individuals who knew who Jesus said he was, knew who people said Jesus was, and they're right there beside him in a very real way in the presence of Jesus. And their focus is so focused on earthly treasure. They're trying their odds to gain earthly treasure in the presence of the greatest treasure the world had ever known. I mean, it, it breaks my heart to think about this reality that exists in so many of our lives today. We're just so distracted from the greatest treasure that's readily available because we're so busy exploring and pursuing the treasure that we've fixed our minds on in the world. And it's caused us to be so distracted. And I believe that the Lord is drawing our attention back to where he desires for our, our attention to be. Because God doesn't just want our attention, he wants our affection. And when we give him our affection, things within our heart begins to change. We, we so many times hear the message of the gospel, and if we're not careful, we hear it with our head and don't get it with our heart. And, and here's the thing that I've learned in my own life. Maybe, uh, maybe you can relate to this. I'm better at believing than I am at behaving. Anybody here relate to that? And so many times I'm talking to people and I'm in different forms of conversation and I'm saying, do you believe? And they say, yes, pastor, I believe. Let me ask you, do you believe? Yes, you believe. And then I say after that, will you behave? And they say, yes, pastor, I'll behave. And I'll say, no, really, do you believe? Yes, I believe. Will you behave? Yes, I'll behave. And then you go out from believing and you lose sight of behaving and you fall completely apart just moments after that moment in time. I mean, it is just so wild. We are better at believing than we are at behaving. And I'm going to tell you why. Because you do believe what you believe, but you actually love what you love more than you believe what you believe. And Jesus didn't come to merely tamper with our beliefs. Jesus came to capture our heart. That's why we're right now in this moment of trying to experience him in the heart, not just this philosophical, theological expression of what to believe, though it's very important that we get our belief system right. It's just that we have to understand there's something deeper going on, on in our lives. That's why Jesus came and he said to the Pharisees, you've got your belief structure all in order and you, you understand how not to commit adultery, but actually if you commit adultery in the heart then you've already committed adultery. He's addressing issues of sin, not from a matter of belief structure, but from something deeper that's going on deep within the heart. And I believe God wants to take us into that place where we understand truly what his kingdom is all about. And that requires us to understand this concept that true life is found and discovered and explored and experienced when we get our own pursuit of a great life out of the center of the equation. And we put the example of Jesus as that which we're focusing on, where we follow his example to sacrificially allow ourselves to be given to the pursuit of helping other people explore a wonderful life. Here's the thing. The truth, God wants your life to be awesome. God does want your life to be awesome. The scripture makes it very clear. For I know the plans I have for you, Jeremiah 29, 11. They're good plans, plans to prosper you. Basically what it's saying is, I've got good plans. I want your life to be awesome. But that truth, what you have to understand, that truth comes with a trick. 
The truth is God wants your life to be awesome, but the trick is God never intended for you to pursue an awesome life for yourself. God always intended for you to provide an awesome life for others, and that's what will make your life so awesome. So you get your own pursuit of a great life out of the center of the equation and you put Christ on the throne in the center of your heart and you can't help but live a sacrificial life. And there is nothing more painful than two selfish people in a marriage relationship trying to make the other person do what will make them happy. There is nothing more painful than two selfish people in a relationship. There's nothing more beautiful than two servants in love serving each other in such a way that everything about the relationship begins to flourish. I hear the Holy Spirit right now in this moment saying that he's addressing some issues of marital brokenness. Relational pain. And so much of it is born from the pursuit of trying to make the other person the mate you want them to be. And I stand up here in front of you and so thankful for my wife who endured the first five years at least of our marriage relationship where I was working so hard to make her into everything God wanted me to have in a wife. How selfish is that? I had Bible verses that I clubbed her with routinely. I don't know how she survived me, but I'm sure thankful that she did. And over the course of time, I had to start to learn, you know, it's really not about me trying to control her. But it's about me controlling the only one of the two of us in our marriage relationship that I can actually bring before the Lord. And God then began to do a deep work within me. So right now, just pray, Lord, for marriage relationships, for people that are online, people that are uh, watching a recording maybe later in time, those in this room. Uh, if you're married and uh, just agree over this prayer, would you just take hands? Lord, we just agree, restore, do a deep work within our heart. Help us, Lord, to understand the desires of God in the way we walk out your will, plan, and purpose in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'm not just talking about learning to live a life that prefers others that are among us, but I'm actually talking about what it is to live a life that actually embraces a legacy that gives consideration to what God is doing even in the lives of those who have yet to be born. What we all have to understand is that we serve a God who thinks generationally. And if you keep thinking circumstantially, then you'll never understand because much of what's happening to you right now has more to do with those who are coming after you than it ever does about you. And if we don't get this piece right, then we're just constantly living in a self-perpetuating, self self-moving peace that just keeps us isolated and focused in a way that we shouldn't be. Life is about so much more than you, and life is about so much more than me. So I want to break down just a few verses today. I'm going to introduce you to a text of Scripture that we're going to be talking about for a season of time now. We feel we've come into the next season of what God's calling us to as a church, and it's found in John uh, chapter 14. I want to first just expose you to the idea um, the idea of orphan thinking, and Jesus addresses this in the text, and this is going to be a big emphasis for us. Some of you don't even realize you've been a 
adopted as sons and daughters of God, but you're still in an orphan mindset. And an orphan mindset lives in a place of great insecurity and uncertainty, feeling like I've got to put my best foot forward. Like if I don't have my devotion time, God's not going to love me. Like if something goes wrong, God's mad at me. That's an orphan mindset, and God wants to break that in your life and give you a sense of confidence and certainty to know who you are in Christ. You won't live in that type of an attitude and mindset. This is an elaborate concept in Revelation that we're really going to explore, but God is going to raise us up into a place of being a spiritually healthy church, spiritually healthy people. And I want you to hear the essence of that as we read that today, and then we'll move into the verse that we're going to focus in on, the life that comes from Christ into us. So starting in John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. This is where Jesus exposes it. Adam and Eve sinned and lost their relationship with their father. And Jesus came to reconcile and restore. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. I'm going to be gone. The world won't see me, but you will see me. Do you know the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on that which is unseen. The author, the finisher of your faith, fix your eyes on him. The world won't see me, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. Because I live, you also will live. This is very important that we understand. Not because you've you've ascribed to a certain set of religious beliefs that you'll live. No, because Jesus is alive, you will live. And I just want to reiterate, it is important that we understand what to believe, because that's an important element of believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you'll be saved. Clearly, this is important, but the problem is we've reduced so much of our experience with God to a certain set of beliefs. We've got people like the Roman soldier standing near the presence of the Lord, paying no attention to what Jesus truly is supposed to be in their life. And they're more focused on the earthly treasures and how the application of that gets them what they really want. And Jesus is saying, I'm not the way you get what you really want. I am what you really want, whether you really understand that yet or not. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You will live in a state of want in your life until you figure out Jesus is your everything. You are designed by God to get this. And until then, you're going to run the rat race. You're going to try and find fulfillment in every relationship. You're going to try and fulfillment. You try and find fulfillment in career advancement. You're going to try and find fulfillment in having a big house, a nice car, more money, whatever it is. I'm going to have, find it in fashion. I'm going to find it in social media awareness. You're not going to find it there. You're going to constantly stir yourself to a deeper place of futility and frustration and live in a state of want until you understand the Lord is my shepherd. Because I live, you also will live. Verse 20, and on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Because I live, you will live. So what does it really mean 
to find life as a result of Jesus being alive. I venture to say few people hearing this are really thinking what God is wanting to reveal in this moment yet. But I believe we're going to to see more of an illumination of what this really means. Because we all have a certain context in a way of processing what I'm talking about, and we slip back to that context. But we have to understand, when Jesus went from death to life, it unlocked God's kingdom in the earth in such a way that his life, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is at work in your mortal physical body. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, when we start singing, takes us to a place beyond just mere human inspiration. But there is something divine about our encounter with God. It's the life of Jesus that causes you to live that kind of life, true life, real life. Jesus said, I came that you might have and enjoy vacation. That's not what he said. I came that you might have and enjoy life. But our attitude in many ways is we endure life to make it to the vacation so that we can just kind of get by. I want you to know God never designed you to kind of get by. He designed you to more than conquer, to understand what life truly is. He is alive, therefore we are alive. Everything within us comes to greater life when we embrace the love and the life of Jesus Christ. So how does this work, and how do we experience this, and how do we embrace this? And I I thought about this crazy situation that happened in April of 2000. True story, terrible car crash took place in Japan, and uh, the, the people at the scene recognized the car. The injuries to the driver were so severe that he was unrecognizable in many ways. I mean, it was an awful, awful accident. But the people there identified him as well. The car they recognized, the man that they knew of, they they contacted the family, and a brother-in-law was in the area. He came. He also identified the car and and identified his brother-in-law. Immediately, all of the family gathered at now the, the grieving widow's house, the man's wife, he was a shipbuilder, local shipbuilder, and was on his way to work early that morning. He spent the entire morning just weeping. I mean, can you imagine what this, what this would be like suddenly, unexpectedly, and, and now the whole morning we're, we're just, you know, as a family gathering together, and we're crying, and we're weeping, and we're sharing memories, and we're talking about how we're there for each other, and, and the morning turns to afternoon, and the afternoon produces the conversation that is inevitable to be had, and what's the funeral going to be like, and what will we do, and how's this going to go down, and, and when will we take place, and, and who all are we going to get? I mean, just the whole progression of the day, until just after 6 p.m. when the man walks in the door trying to figure out after a hard day's work why all his family is at his house. It's not a case of resurrection. It was a case of misidentification. Can you imagine what happened in that house in that moment? Like in that house, they would have felt like we have cheated death today. He is alive. I mean, tears would have suddenly become laughter and joy. Mourning would have become dancing. All of a sudden, these deep sense of anguish become overjoyed, relief and excitement. How many of you know they would live life from a different perspective, at least for a brief time afterward, after mourning all day long the loss of somebody that they realized they hadn't lost? Now, how do you think the disciples responded when Jesus showed up? 
you realize we're looking back on this text and we're seeing the, the whole plan clearly. And we know how it all unfolds. So we get it when Jesus said, well, unless the seed you know, falls into the ground and dies, then it's not going to produce fruit. But once it falls into the ground and dies, it's going to come back. And three days later, I'm going to rebuild the temple. I mean, all these things that he was revealing, when we're reading it, we know the end of the story, but the disciples didn't. And in the pain and the confusion of Friday and the silence of Saturday, they themselves were processing so much pain and chaos. There's no way that they were rehearsing all the prophecies full of absolute expectation that Jesus was coming. You realize Jesus the Messiah was the descendant of a masterful warlike King David and, and his followers actually wanted him to overthrow the Roman government and they anticipated the Messiah would come and enough is enough and it's time to rise up and conquer this government that has been so oppressive and Jesus showed up and he's crucified by that government. The confusion until Jesus shows up like the man, only different because then they realize he did. This wasn't mistaken identity. This is resurrection. He was put in that tomb. They put a seal over that tomb because they did not want anybody tampering with or taking the body with all the conversation that he was going to come back from the dead. They put a Roman seal on the tomb. They stationed Roman soldiers at the tomb, and the soldiers were going to lose their life if anything happened and that body was gone. But you cannot keep Jesus in the tomb when he goes from death to life. He came alive and he came out and God was alive in that moment in time and those disciples are there experiencing this risen King Jesus and all of a sudden there's an injection of joy. There's an injection of faith. There's an injection of life down in their soul, deep in their lives. They would be living life from an entirely different perspective. He would begin to tell them, even greater miracles are you going to do. And the things that they had seen now injected with this life of a risen king suddenly activated and awakened so much within them. Because he lived, they then lived. Because he lives, you and I are supposed to live. We don't look at mountains the same way normal people look at mountains because we're not normal. Come on, nobody in this room normal. You understand what I'm saying? We're not normal of the world. You and I are not natural people. We are supernaturally empowered by God Almighty. The circumstances that come our way, they do not take us hostage. The giants that try and destroy us, they will not defeat us. In fact, in the same way it was with Goliath, David looked at this giant and thought, is this the end of the road? No, it is not. My God is able, and God didn't use the giant to defeat him. God used the giant to promote him no matter what is going on in your life. God can turn the situation completely, absolutely around. Jesus is alive. An eternal perspective begins to transform everything about the temporal circumstance that's trying to take control of your life and draw your attention to earthly treasure when eternal treasure is right there for you to behold. So what is this life? In so many ways, isn't it true, we've reduced the faith to be the best life the world can offer as if that is God's ultimate concern. 
I, I just want you to know, he is eternal God. And your best temporal life is not his number one concern. Can I just remind you that the cross of Christ is at the center of the kingdom? Now we've reduced, I'll say it again, we in the Western world, we have reduced Christianity into a self-serving religion that puts us right in the middle and everything about my life, I want my life to be awesome. In fact, God has made me awesome. And that's our whole focus, like the purpose-driven life, your purpose is at the center of the kingdom. Jesus is at the center of the kingdom. His sacrificial example is at the center of the kingdom. Everything that you are is to be laid down and sacrificed so God's kingdom can be furthered in the lives of other people. That is the kingdom of God. I can say all of that in two words to all of us as a church. Grow up. Maturity is when your love and concern for others begins to outrun your love and concern for yourself. Ah, sense a real shift in the church in the body of Christ in this hour this transformation taking place in the nations of the world the church is starting to step into a deeper place of maturity a greater place of availability to the very purposes of God rather than a self-serving perspective that pursues religion as an avenue to give them everything they want and then they get mad at God when they don't get their way it's probably not your typical Easter sermon But I'm telling you, the essence of futility is to explore and pursue the best life this world has to offer, never finding any sense of fulfillment, even when you've achieved everything you can that this world has to offer. Multi-millionaire, absolutely uh, famously known actor Jim Carrey put it this way. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. See, we all long for something more because we were born for something more than the life this world can provide. The scripture says it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He has planted eternity in the human heart. God has planted eternity in the human heart. You were born for more. Anybody get in the traffic and the traffic's not going fast enough and you switch lanes and go past and then that car slows down and now you're mad because that car's slowing down and the other car, how many of you do this? Be honest, just, all right. That's the only reason you do that is because you cannot, can, you cannot contain the eternity that exists in your heart. You were born for something more. <laughs> Nothing's gonna hold you back. You're born for something more. I mean, it tries to hold you back. I'm born for something. There's something in you. Even if you get ahead of everybody and you're like, I have won. <laughs> you're still not going to find fulfillment in that. God has placed eternity in the human heart. The best moment this world has to offer is still just a fleeting moment. And eternity exists in your heart. And moment, a moment will never answer the desire that is released in the pursuit of eternity. Because he lives, we live. Easter really does bring us into the understanding of the pain of Friday, the silence of Saturday, 
and the celebration and the substance of Sunday. But how many know the pain and the silence are a part of the plan, part of the process of, of our becoming who God's called us to be? How many have been through some pain before? Tracy and I were taking some time between the two services just to pray together for somebody that I was ministering to early this morning. Check, check. That I was ministering to early this morning, and they're just going through so much on this Easter Sunday. And my heart's breaking for them. I, I've been in tears for them this morning. But this I know. God is near the brokenhearted. Nobody's going to go through anything that they have to go through without sensing the nearness of God. Now that is treasure. And we live in a fallen world where we're going to face things we cannot understand. And if you try to explain all the circumstances that you face, then you will make God into something he is not because you cannot understand when we live in a fallen world. There's stuff going on that God never wanted to happen. I know this is hard for some people to, to understand, but God rarely gets his way in a fallen world. It is not God's will that any should perish, but how many know many do? So clearly we see God doesn't get his way many times in our lives. And, and we live in this fallen world, but folks, we serve a risen king. Even in the midst of living in a fallen world, we can lift our eyes and behold the eternal perspective of God. And Jesus changes everything about life. And Jesus changes everything about death. And Jesus changes everything about everything because he is Jesus. He's alive. Because he lives, we live. I want to just conclude by sharing an interesting story of Winston Churchill. He actually arranged his own funeral in advance. And it was interesting because he had purposed at the conclusion of the benediction, there was an unexpected bugler positioned high in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral. And as the benediction concluded, the haunting melody of taps began and it produced a somber moment of conclusion everybody in the cathedral just stunned with the reality of what was being spoken his life was over you can probably hear taps in your imagination right now but interestingly he had a second bugler positioned in another part of the dome and as taps concluded reveille began and he was demonstrating that this life comes to a conclusion but then it is time to wake up to real life that will begin beyond a temporal life and I want to encourage you in this today as our worship team comes it's important to us that we recognize Jesus wants us to explore a life that is beyond the temporal perspectives that try to take us captive. We get so locked in to these vain temporal pursuits as if they are everything, and they are not. They're fleeting. You know, when we gather like this, we come together as a church, and uh, we just decided a few years back that we want to conclude in a way that's not just concluding by receiving. How many know is more blessed to give than it is to receive? So what we want to do every week, we want to conclude by, number one, we want to have an action point. We want to take what we've heard and sense God's presence and, and understand how to live that out in real life. We believe God's presence is for real life. 
And so we bring God's presence to real life with an action point expression every week. And I want to give you that today. And then we're going to step into a place where we're not just receiving the word, but we're all going to stand to our feet in a moment and we're going to open our hearts and we're just going to begin to worship the Lord our God. And we're going to give something back to God. How many of you have received something from God today? Let's just give the Lord a hand clap of praise for what he's done in our own hearts. He's stirring something within us. You, you see the response, he's done something for me and I do something back. And so that's what we want to do. We want to bring what we've experienced into an expression of worship. And we won't take too long. We'll conclude by a, a dismissal and sharing a couple of things that are important. But I want to just give you your action point this week. Very simple. Pursue God's presence in places of prayer, asking for a deeper understanding of the life Jesus desires you to live. And I just want you to understand this does not happen without embracing the life of Jesus Christ. You cannot experience what we're talking about today if you choose to live your life consumed with the treasures of the world, maybe even knowing about the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you get this? Like really embracing who He is and allowing Him in. Like Jesus came to rescue all humanity from the fall of the garden where Adam and Eve sinned against God and separation from God took place. And then when Jesus came back, he's suspended between heaven and earth on that cross. Between two realms, he becomes the bridge to make that come back together so that you and I might allow the Father to completely restore us through the Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world. Isn't that a beautiful story? But just knowing about him is not enough. You have to receive him and embrace, believe in your heart who he is. He didn't just come to rescue all humanity. He came to rescue you. He didn't just come to die for everybody's sin. He came to die for your sins. Come on, let's stand together. Come on, let's just invite the Lord Jesus to help us walk on this journey. For some Maybe this is a prayer that you're just starting the journey. You've really never prayed to receive Christ. And this is a moment where you begin the most important journey of your entire life, where you step into that greater revelation of eternity. For others, maybe this is just a, a sense of a deeper conviction that God's stirring. You're just going to take a step to go deeper. But I just invite you that we might recognize without any question who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah who fulfilled all of the more than 300 prophecies in Scripture about the first coming of the Messiah. He fulfilled that. He is who He says He is. He's the Savior of the world, and He came to rescue you, and He came to rescue me. And I believe that just the declaration of believing in our heart and proclaiming that with our mouths is what takes us from death to life. So come on, you declare that and you agree for that, then why don't you say amen really loud. Amen. Lord, lead us into a deeper revelation of what it means to walk with you. Each and every one of us taking steps forward to be more who you designed us to be. Living beyond the pursuit of the temporal perspectives as we embrace a greater revelation of the eternal values of God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 
You know, the Bible says very clearly it is not good for man to be alone. And we really want to walk this journey out with you. So if today you're making a decision to serve the Lord or you want to grow deeper, you just want to have a conversation with somebody, connect with somebody about what that looks like, how do I do devotions, we would love to take the opportunity to further make disciples in any way that you would have a heart or a desire to do so. So the Connect card is in the uh, seat back in front of you. There's a number that will pop up on the uh, screen if you prefer to do that digitally or for those of you that are on our online campus right now. But please take a moment if you want to take a step forward, in particular if you've made a decision to accept Christ today, just fill that out. Drop it in one of our giving stations and let us make further a connection with you. And we're going to walk out over the course of the the next month or so, on April the 18th, we're going to invite everybody who is interested to what we call Discover Destiny. And it's just a 30-minute connection we'll make between the services on a Sunday to talk with you about why you are wired the way you are wired. Some of you in this room love to talk. How many of you love to talk? Raise your hand if you love to talk. How many of you prefer to kind of stay by yourself and you were glad that COVID required people to stop hugging you? We're all wired differently. And what we want to do is we want to help you understand why God wired you the way he did, not put you in a box and make everybody do what we think you should do. We want to help you be you. And so that's what that Discovering Destiny is on that Sunday. And it's an introduction, so you're aware, to six Wednesday nights following for those that then want to go further in this. But it is very liberating to discover more of why God made me the way he made me and how I can fulfill my God-given assignment in this world and this life. Come on. This is such an amazing journey to be on, knowing Jesus and making him known. Because he lives, you and I are alive. I'm so thankful for the life of Jesus. What a great day to celebrate our risen King. Will you join me and we not just receive something, but come on, let's express something as we just take a few moments in worship before we're dismissed.